0: I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to the Anglo Saxon England Podcast, episode 38 Boniface and the English Missions. The period of West Saxon consolidation under Ina had major implications not just for Wessex, but for the peoples elsewhere in Britain and even on the continent. One man who embodies the international impact of Ina's reign is Boniface, a West Saxon who devoted his life to missionary work in what is today Germany and Austria. A product of Wessex's Western expansion, Boniface's eventful life brought him into contact with popes and kings, and saw him leave an indelible mark on many of the peoples and countries of Europe's Germanic centre. Boniface wasn't his birth name. He was born Winfred, and he entered the world in around 675, the son of a noble family. The place of his birth is unknown, although later legend says that he was born in Crediton. But his biographer tells us that he was educated at a monastery in what is today Exeter, a city that at the time was on the border of Wessex and Domnonia. Being of noble stock, Winfred's father expected his son to fight for the king in return for lavish gifts. However, Winfried was enamoured by the life of the monks, who educated him, and he defied his father to become a monk as soon as he was able. He went for further theological education north to Nursling near Winchester. He stayed here for many years, teaching and composing treatises on grammar and verse. He also authored some riddles in the tradition of Althelm's Enigmata. When he was around 30, so around 705, he was ordained a priest. He stayed at Nursling for just over another decade. Towards the end of that time, the monastery's abbot Winberth died, and Winfred was selected to succeed him. There is some speculation that the two were related, but this is nothing more than speculation. Either way, Winfred refused to succeed Winbirth, and instead he chose to set out on a missionary journey to Frisia, a region on the northern coast of Europe in what is now the Netherlands and Germany why did Winfred give up a promising monastic career in England to go to the continent? We will never know for certain, but he was not the first Anglo-Saxon to undertake such a journey. Some years before, following the Frankish subjugation of the Frisians, the Frankish mayor of the palace, an administrative position with immense de facto power under the Merovingians named Pepin II, requested Anglo-Saxon missionaries come to convert the pagan Frisians. This coincided with the decision of an English monk named Edgbert to dedicate his life to wandering and preaching. The story goes that Egbert, who was originally educated at Lindisfarne but then travelled to Ireland to escape the plague, had vowed to undertake such a life if he survived a bout of plague that afflicted him while he studied in Ireland. Upon his survival, he made ready to go to Frisia, but then he was discouraged from going by a vision reported to him by one of his fellow monks, which effectively said that he would die there. So instead, Edgbert organized a group of twelve monks made up of Anglo Saxons from across England, including the West Saxon Witbert and the Northumbrian Willibrord. Why Pepin wanted Anglo Saxons specifically is unknown. Possibly, it was due to linguistic similarities between the English and the Frisians, which would make communication easier. Even to this day, people who speak Frisian can somewhat understand Old English, so it's entirely plausible that the two groups could more easily communicate with each other than the Frisians and the Franks. Probably also the Frisians resented the Franks, so having an independent third party would help missionary efforts. Of this first bout of English missions in Frisia, Willebrod emerged as the head of the missionaries, with his being consecrated a bishop of Frisia in 695, and subsequently founding two important monasteries, one at Utrecht and one at Ecternach. It was to Utrecht that Winfred came in 716, where he became one of Willebrod's companions for a time. This was an unstable period in Frisia. Pepin had been succeeded by his son, Charles Martel. With the disruption, the exiled king of Frisia, Radbod seized the opportunity to retake his kingdom. In 716, he defeated Charles Martel, securing his return, and then proceeded to destroy the churches that had been built under the Franks' rule. In response, Winfred was forced to return to Nursling, and Willebrod fled to Ectenac. Undeterred by this setback, Winfried made plans to return to the continent the very next year, where he made instead for Rome. In Italy, he was granted the pallium as a missionary bishop to Germania. This didn't actually mean much since there were no churches or dioceses in Germania for him to be bishop of, but it signalled the Pope's ambition to convert the Germans to Christianity. It was also during this visit to Rome that Winfred was renamed by Pope Gregory III to Boniface after the 4th century Saint Boniface of Tarsus. Why the comparison was considered apt isn't recorded, but from this point on, Winfred would go by Boniface. He would also never again return to England. Upon receiving papal support, Boniface travelled to what is today Hesse in central Germany, where he proceeded to attack pagan shrines. Famously, he chopped down a great oak tree dedicated to the god Donna, a West Germanic deity related to the Norse Thor. After which, the local pagans were so amazed that the gods didn't strike Boniface down that they converted to Christianity. The story goes that Boniface then had the wood incorporated into a church. This story of desecration is one of the more famous about Boniface. It is unclear, though, how much of it is true, since similar stories about Christians demonstrating the weakness of pagan deities are commonplace throughout hagiography, so it is possible that this too is an embellishment, although it may record some traces of Boniface's genuine legacy. Certainly, it represents a harsh streak that we see reflected in many of Boniface's letters he routinely offers the most extreme or intense forms of punishment for people who have gone wrong, so his dramatic desecration of a pagan shrine doesn't exactly seem out of character. In addition to promoting papal interests in Germania, the utility of Boniface's mission to the Franks becomes apparent by the 720s. Charles Martel wanted to reconquer Frisia, And absorb all of Germania into his empire. Following the death of Radbod in 719, Frisia had again become a de facto part of Francia, but resistance to Frankish rule was still fierce. In addition to this, the Franks also planned to conquer all of Saxony and the other Germanic polities that existed west of the Rhine. A necessary component of this plan was that the Germans be converted to Christianity, so as to shatter their old loyalties and to facilitate an expansion of ecclesiastical structures that would serve the Franks in administrating the newly subjugated people. To this end, Charles gave his support to Boniface. Secretly, though, the papacy had its own plans for Francia as well. Following Charles's defeat of a band of Umayyad Muslim invaders at Tours in 732, a victory which permanently halted Islamic expansion into Europe, he began to give large gifts of land to the churches and monasteries of his kingdom. This made the Frankish church extremely wealthy, and the papacy felt too reliant on the king for its authority. Add to this the presence of Gallic elements in the life of the Frankish church, and the papacy wanted to firmly bring the Franks into its sphere of influence. This was because other powers in the region of Italy were threatening Rome's sovereignty. Most immediately, the Lombards, Germanic peoples who had settled in Italy during the fall of Rome, routinely threatened the papacy's landholdings. On a larger scale, a rupture with the Eastern Empire had been initiated in 726 by Emperor Leo the Osaurian's embrace of iconoclasm, a reforming movement which sought to remove all images from churches, probably in response to the explosive expansion of Islam in the late 7th century, a creed that was vigorously opposed to any kind of images in worship. Seeing the zeal with which the Muslims rejected images, the Byzantine emperor reasoned that God was displeased with the Christians for their use of images, and so sought to purge them from the churches. The popes were wary of this innovation, and so sought more orthodox allies closer to home. With his victory over the Umayyads in 732, Charles Martel showed that the Franks were the most likely candidates for a new papal ally but to make sure of their alliance, the papacy needed to ensure that the Frankish church was not overly beholden to the Frankish nobility. Since Boniface, in his capacity as a missionary to Germania, was working to build churches that would become part of the Frankish empire, the papacy hoped that his example could be used to promote reforming ideas within the Frankish church more generally. revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. I just wanted to let you know that if you're enjoying what I'm doing here, then it really helps me when you leave a review or a rating on the podcast provider you're using to listen to this, or when you subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, or when you become a supporter over on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and transcripts for as little as $3 a month. Podcasts are basically ruled by algorithms, and so signs of engagement like rating and subscribing and listening all really help me to keep this going and to keep it financially viable. So anything is helpful. Speaking of patrons, I want to give a quick shout out to Anthony Reagan, who recently became a patron over on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope that you're enjoying the extra material that you now have access to. Anyway, back to the show. In 732, following a period of missionary work in central Germany, Boniface went again to Rome, where he was made Archbishop of Germany, a sign of the roots his mission was planting in the region. In 733, he went for a third time to Rome, and there was made a papal legate for Germany. At this same time, Charles Martel established four bishoprics in what is now Bavaria, Salzburg, Regensburg, Freisburg, and Passau. All of these he gave to Boniface as Archbishop. In 742, another major development in the mission was the foundation of a monastery at Fulda, which would eventually become a major cultural centre under Holy Roman Emperor Otto I, following the fragmentation of the Carolingian Empire. In 745, Boniface added a fifth bishopric to his belt, one based at Mainz. While Boniface was engaged in church building, he also undertook a program of reform of the Frankish church. Beginning in 740, and with the support of Charles Martel's sons, Carloman and Pippin, Boniface convened several reforming synods, which finally culminated in what's called the Concilium Germanicum, a church council held in 743 and presided over by Boniface. This was the first church council held in the eastern half of the Frankish Empire. The council was intended to amend various errors begun under Charles's rule by establishing true bishops in the various dioceses of Francia, i.e. actual bishops and not just noblemen claiming to be bishops, mandating that bishops regularly visit their parishes and that priests annually visit their bishops to update them on all of their personal and official activity. The council has been called the high point of Boniface's career, and represents the peak of his reforming ambitions for the Frankish church, since it finally encoded in law stricter controls for the clergy, which helped to address many of the papacy's concerns about undue noble influence. However, Boniface's career would begin to stutter after 747, the year that Carloman retired from public life to leave his brother Pepin as king of the Franks. Boniface and Pepin seem, to judge from Boniface's many surviving letters, to have been on less than good terms. While we don't know too much about Boniface's career between 747 and his final return to Frisia in 754, it seems that he was now operating under more hostile environment, and seemingly had less access to power that he had under Carloman. This would all culminate, as I said in 754, with his decision to return to Frisia. He called for a meeting of Frisian Christians near Dockham, where, instead of converts, he and his retinue were met by armed bandits. The robbers proceeded to murder the gallant monks and rob their bodies. They had expected to find gold and jewels, but instead they found only books, which were worthless to them. Following his death... Boniface's body was taken to Utrecht, where it rested for a time before being returned to and buried at Fulda. It's not clear whether Boniface could be considered a martyr. We don't know from the accounts that survive whether or not he was murdered for his faith, or if he was simply murdered while being robbed. Certainly, the legend of Boniface as a martyr of some kind became quite established, but the historicity of that interpretation is open to debate. Almost immediately upon his return, the community at Fulda began venerating Boniface as a saint. Within a decade of his burial there, an elaborate tomb was built for him at the centre of Fulda Abbey. He is also commemorated at various other churches that he helped to establish, such as Mainz. Outside of official liturgical commemoration, Boniface has also entered German folklore as the inventor of the Christmas tree, a legacy that seems a bit odd for a man who famously is said to have cut down a tree used for pagan worship. Nevertheless, Boniface today is less remembered in England than he is in Germany and the Netherlands. There he is remembered as the apostle of the Germans who converted them to Christianity. In England, he is venerated as a saint by Anglicans and is memorialized in Bede's ecclesiastical history, but he has otherwise become less well known than other Anglo-Saxon saints. Boniface introduces us though to a world of Anglo-Saxon missionaries. Like the Irish before them, the Anglo-Saxons engaged in a widespread missionary effort across much of Europe. As a result of this effort, they built churches and abbeys, and these continued to link communities across Western Europe throughout the early medieval period. Through these communities, Englishmen on the continent were able to continue to influence life back in England, and vice versa. Some communities, such as Utrecht, exerted significant influence over Anglo-Saxon literary and visual culture, and it was through such communities that men like Bede became widely known outside of England. Boniface, despite his severe demeanour in his dealings with others, nevertheless represents a key developmental stage in the place of England in the wider European continent. It can be easy to think of history, and specifically the early Middle Ages, as times of ignorance and isolation. But in fact, Europe was linked together through a vast cultural network that the English played a major role in founding, and it's worth remembering that today. We have always been tied into the continent culturally, and we've always had some kind of communication with them and been influenced by them. Boniface is only one of the more famous representatives of that long tradition. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. As always, I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I look forward to you joining me again next time. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The SIECLE, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The SIECLE, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and can be found wherever you get podcasts.